Thank you for listening to Everything's Messy podcast. We appreciate your interest in health and wellness. However, it is important to note that the content provided in this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information shared here is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The hosts and guests featured on Everything's Messy podcast are not licensed healthcare professionals, and the discussions within the episode should not be considered as personalized medical guidance. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Reliance on any information provided by Everything's Messy podcast or its guests is solely at your own risk. This podcast may discuss general health topics, lifestyle choices, and wellness trends, but these discussions should not be interpreted as individualized medical recommendations. Every individual's health needs are unique, and what works for one person may not be suitable for another. We encourage you to consult with a healthcare professional before making any significant changes to your diet, exercise routine, or health practices. Everything's Messy Podcast and its hosts are not responsible for any actions taken based on the information provided during the podcast. Remember, your health is a personal matter, and professional medical advice is essential for making informed decisions about your well-being. Thank you for listening to Everything's Messy Podcast. Everything's Messy Podcast brought to you by Dreamweaver Media. So, incredible company. I'm so excited that I've had the chance to work with this company. Let me tell you, if you are looking to level up your podcast, level up your business, anything that you need to get very clear and laser focused with your goals for your company, you need to reach out to Dreamweaver Media. They have a strategy session report that they will do for you. And what that will do is you will discover your dream audience persona, define your business's why, craft a brand identity that speaks directly to your target audience, identify your marketing goals and create a custom plan and receive a detailed visual shoot plan that brings everything to life. Let me tell you, this company is amazing. So reach out to dreamweavermedia.co, that's dreamweavermedia.co, check out their website for more information. Hey there, it's Sarah Wilson, and welcome to Everything's Messy Podcast. Yep, you heard it right. Everything is messy because, well, it is. But here's the thing. In the mess, there's strength waiting to be found, and that's what we're all about here. My mission? To break the silence around chronic illness and build a community that's supportive, understanding, and downright empowering. So if you're ready to navigate the chaos, buck the conventional medical system, and embrace authentic healing, you're in the right place. We're going to tackle the big questions like how to balance it all, where the family fits into the messy equation, and everything in between. This is your messy space, a place where we're not afraid to get real, have those important conversations, and maybe even share a few laughs along the way. I'll be sitting down with incredible people, each with their unique messes to explore their stories, experiences, and the lessons they've learned in the chaos. From unconventional healing methods to finding strength you never knew you had, we're covering it all. So grab a seat, get comfy, and let's dive into the messy. Because here at the Everything's Messy podcast, we're turning chaos into strength. Together, we're going to embrace the mess. Are you ready? Let's get messy. Hey, this is Everything's Messy podcast. I am your host, Sarah Wilson. We are back today with part two of the interview with Mike Strasbaugh. I hope uh, you have enjoyed him as much as I have. And uh, without further ado, let's get into part two. All right. So we are back for part two with my guest, Mike Strasbaugh. We left off talking about being in the hospital more than you were at home in 2006. So why don't you pick us up from there? Okay. 
um, to clarify, it was the end of 2006. Okay. Spent, like most of the year it was right. The last two months, um, uh, during the last two months or the last month and a half, like it was <clears throat> well, really kind of near the beginning of November. It was really bad pneumonias and I was in for two weeks came out and right back in again, different pneumonia two weeks again. So that was like um, last couple last couple of months of 2006. So I knew, maybe subconsciously, I don't know, that I was nearing the end. Like I didn't have much left in me physically. Because <clears throat> again, they were getting that, that recurrent. Um, so end of 2006, um, I end up, I actually get out of the hospital probably right, right around Christmas-ish. <clears throat> well... As luck would have it, again, there's a, the word luck again. Here we go. Here's another thing. <laughs> I was lucky that I had started working at a physician recruitment firm. Like they call them headhunters, whatever. Yep. Okay. Um, it was the middle of 2006. In fact, the one like the the episode of pneumonia that I had forgotten about was right after I started at this place in May of 2006, and then in June of 2006 was that first of the three pneumonias that year that put me in the hospital. Okay. Um, but because I was working there, I had benefits, um, and I was a physician recruiter, which means the people that I worked with, they knew doctors in town. They, it was just, they we, they all spoke the lingo, right? Gotcha, gotcha. And, and, and it's during, always not what you know, but who you know. It, it could not be a better example of that, <laughs> seriously, because... The the director of recruiting, I remember her. She um she you know we were just talking. They by then you know this is you know several months into me being there. They knew I was sick a lot, so we were talking about health. And she had mentioned that she had uh, she had, had you know recurring uh, headaches and nobody could figure anything out. And she was discussing. She was talking about this doctor in town. Um, he was a rheumatologist, but he was kind of like the rain man of doctors. Like you could just tell him what was going on with you. And it didn't matter what specialty, like, he's like, here's what I think it is. And he was always right. Wow. Always right. So they said, go to this guy, you know, as soon as you can. So as soon as I got out of the hospital that last time in December, I went to go see him and I get there. He asks me just this massive battery of questions. And I tell him everything about everything that I can possibly remember about my health. They take all the blood work. They did uh, like seven vials. They did 14 different tests. And then I leave. Um, now you got to understand at this point, it's been you know more than a decade, so there's no hope. Like all all I had encountered for more than ten years was, sorry, we don't know what's wrong with you. Jeez. And, yeah. And so and like again, like I mentioned in the TED talk, they would tell me what's not wrong with me. Hey, you don't have AIDS. You don't have this, and that's great. But what is it? Don't right. Right. So that was you know end of very end of the year. And then here's where stuff finally takes a turn. So I'm at work. It's January 8th, 2007, and it's 11.23 a.m. Because I'm looking at the clock when the phone, when my cell phone rings. Um, and it's the doctor's office. And I'm like, all right, with this call again. You know, hey, we don't know what it is. Sorry. And it's it's the doctor. He's a Belgian doctor, so he's got kind of a thick accent. So I had a hard time understanding him at first. But... He starts saying stuff that I've never heard before. He's like, Mr. Strasbaugh, this is Dr. Yost. Um, I was right. It is this thing. It's called common variable immunodeficiency. And I don't remember much after that. Sure. I really Because it was finally given a title. It, it was so, it, possibly the most surreal moment of my life. 
Um, yeah, it was not just a title. You're absolutely right, but I wasn't crazy. There right. were I was it wasn't just me alone in the world and nobody can understand me. There were other people who had gone through it. It had a name, you know. And at that point, just I didn't realize because we hadn't gotten to the point yet. Probably, I still thought I was going to die like really, really soon. But I was actually I was sa- I was satisfied. I was at least I knew going to my grave. I'm like, I know what it is. This thing has a name. I know what killed me at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's so that's so incredibly heavy though to have that you know, just weigh on you and then be thankful that you finally know what's going to take you. I mean, that's just a really weird way to look at it, but necessary, it necessary because you, you want to know what's got me. Yeah. Because when you've been chased, I'd always call it my invisible demon grizzly bear. That's what it was for 12 years. Did you ever see that? Did you ever see the revenant with Leo DiCaprio? I, I don't think so. Okay. There's a scene and I always, I visualize everything. Even when I teach, there's a scene they show in like the previews too. It's with him and a grizzly bear, and it's as ugly. It's it's he's walking through the forest. He sees baby grizzly bears, and he instantly knows, oh shit, Mama's not far behind. Yeah, it's it's no pun intended. It is grizzly. It's nasty. Wow. And it's you know several minutes of him just getting wrecked, uh-huh. and he survives because it's a movie. But that's what it was like every time. And there was seven of those, right? And so that thing was just I knew it was circling. It doesn't go away. I'm like, when is it going to hit again? And then boom, encephalitis, sepsis, all of them, right? So at least I knew it had a name. But he said, no, there's a treatment for it. And even at that point, I thought, so I'm still going to be sick, but I'm not going to die. Like, I couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. I had never, I've never had a normal immune system. So I just thought people just get sick, I guess. Yeah, Um, yeah. But the treatment is, um, it's again, it's IVIG, intravenous immunoglobulin. <clears throat> Every four weeks, a nurse comes to my house, sticks an IV in my arm, and it just gives me all the stuff I don't make anymore, the B cells and the T cells, the, the memory system, the memory of your immune wow. system. <clears throat> and it's not, a, it's not a chemical product. It's just, it's pulled from blood donors. So thousands of blood donors every month, it gets pulled out. It's made into a powder. They put it with saline, and it's it's literally magic for me. That's, it that's magic. Wow, that yeah. that's just incredible. And is it a fairly new treatment? I don't think it's actually new. I think the way it's administered might be new. Um, it used to be. I mean, it's decades old at this point, but it used to be like it was a painful procedure because it was like really thick serum. Like it was painful to go through, but gotcha. You did it? But you did it, yeah. Right. But for me, no, it's always just been you know, the, the hardest part is the stick. Sure. A couple of hours. I call it my my oil change. A couple of hours every month. <laughs> and then I'm good for four weeks. And I'm wow. a normal person, which is weird because I have a better immune system than I ever had. Wow. Yeah. So since my immune system is like the definition of you know a herd immune system, like when COVID finally we got herd immunity, Mine is literally a com. My immune system is literally a combination of thousands of donors every month. So I get everybody's. Sure. Yep. Now that now here's the thing though, that wouldn't start right away. Um, and that was, and I did something stupid after that. But back to that day, he says common variable immunodeficiency, 
here's the treatment. Not focused on the common part. <laughs> I'm sure that. <laughs> right. Well, he says it was, it's rare. It's one in 50,000, you know. I wonder who named it common. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's the, yeah, I know, right? It's, it's kind of ironic. I don't remember. I, I was told this once. I just don't remember, like, why. Because that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, yeah, that's ain't that damn common. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it has to do with the disease itself. But he talks about that. He talks about the treatment. And, you know, I'm trying to process it, certainly, but then I'm trying to think of things in my life that I, maybe I get back or whatever. So the first thing I asked about was my ear. I oh. said, will that come back? And he said, no, I mean, that's, that's a done deal. But by that point, I'd gotten used to it. That happened in 98. This is 2007. You get used to it. Okay. Um, but, and, and kind of with, and I didn't expect it, because, again, I'm not used to hearing positive news. <clears throat> then I ask him about, like, well, what about my tendonitis? Am I going to be able to use my hands normal? Can I play guitar? And I think he's going to say no, but he's like, well. And then he explains to me about the micro tears and how they weren't healing, but now with my treatments, they should heal and my hands should be normal. Wow. Whew, I'm about to cry right now. Because it was just, I was. I, my goodness. He said, you, you, you should be able to do it again. And, you know, I hadn't actively played, like, actively played in a decade, right? So, and I've learned how to play the guitar many times when I had encephalitis. I've relearned everything. Wow. Uh, yep. So I thought, I, I'm, I'm going to be able to do it again and just double check. It's like, you should be, you should be able to do that. You should be able to play guitar again if that's what you want. And so I, you know, I'm. No pun intended, but music to your ears. Music to my ears. <laughs> music to my ear. Cause yeah, to your ears. <laughs> um, and then. You know, I'm trying to take this all in and trying to make sense of it. And then at the end of the call, he just asked me, you know, he said, he said, this is your brand new life, Mr. Strasbaugh. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this brand new life? Wow. Say goodbye. And I'm not sure if I actually, I don't think I saw him ever again because he referred me to an immunologist at that point because it wasn't even his specialty. And he nailed it. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yep. And so that was January 8th, 2007. And... And actually, he dealt, He did tell me this about the the treatment. He said, "Well, you know, with a treatment like this, it's very expensive. Um, it it's insurance. They're gonna they're gonna put you through the process. You know, it's gonna be a month, two months. Who lo Who knows how long before it gets approved?" And I said, "Okay." He said, "You know, just you know, be smart. Don't do anything stupid." And so I did. I didn't feel that stupid. <laughs> um, for for my job, we traveled quite a bit. You know to travel out to hospitals and, you know, sell our services. And I flew out to Oregon and that was a bad mistake because even before I got off the plane, I started to get a tickle in my throat right there. Um, and even by the time we checked into the hotel, I had a sore throat mm -hmm. and it just got bad fast. And so long story pain is some of the, again, there's, we talked about the morphine. Sure. I could have used some then because that was, uh. Oh, because it just, it started to swell. Uh, my throat was just so nasty, inflamed and swollen. Um, every time I ate, like I would take several sips of water for every bite. Like it was a long month. And I went through that for about a month as it just got bigger and bigger. Like my, the lymph node, was the lymph node on my neck, it started to expand and get super infected. Obviously I went to like my primary care doc and they gave me antibiotics. But those didn't, certainly by that point in my life, antibiotics I was going to say, you probably had immunity built up to the antibiotics. That you, like, 
wasn't, you had to be on something harsher and harsher each time. But that, but then you run out. And I, I actually thought that was the case. I think, and I might be misremembering, but I actually think that it's not the actual antibiotic you get immune to. I'm, I don't, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn. I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it's still, I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the fact is, you still need an immune system. Mm. The antibiotics just help. So on their own, nah, they, they can't do it. Again, it's like putting out a fire with a squirt gun. Mm. You can't do that, right? Right. So, um, it's I'm, I'm sleeping in my chair at night because I can't lay down because it starts to choke me because it's really swollen. It's incredibly swollen. And I remembered I had, it was my second appointment with my new immunologist who, as luck would have it, was two hours away. I, I lived right in the middle of Missouri near Columbia and in St. Louis, which is two hours away, happened to be like a world expert on my disease. Again, luck, right? So... I get to his office and I check in and I'm waiting. And before I went up, you know, because that's a couple hours drive, some just told me, bring some stuff with me in case I don't come home tonight, like clothes, in case I have to go to the hospital. I don't know why I thought that. I don't know why I thought that. Brought some clothes, brought a backpack with some books, brought a, brought a guitar. Um, and... <clears throat> Again, I couldn't play, but what I could, I could move my fingers on the guitar, just like, just move them. I couldn't play, but I could move them, at least feel the guitar in my hands. So I get up to his office, and I'm sitting there waiting, and he comes into the exam room, and he sees me, and he goes, all right, go to the hospital right now. I'm going to call ahead. We're going to get you into the ER. We're going to get you a room right away. Just tell them who you are. They're going to get you in there. We'll do your appointment in the emergency room. So I thought, well, that's cool. I mean, that also kind of sucks because that's obviously pretty heavy. Sure. Because he just saw my neck. He's like, nope, go right now. And so I go. It's Barnes Jewish Hospital. It's just a couple miles away. And, okay, this is going to be gross. But on the way, it's like a two-mile drive. It's going to be messy. We like messy. Thank you. <laughs> I, wish, I still wish I had this picture, man. But um, it's like a two-mile drive from his office to the hospital. And I figured, well, I'm, it's going to be a while. So I better get something to eat. So there's a Burger King on the way. I go through the drive-thru. I get two cheeseburgers and a Diet Coke. And I'm pulling out of the drive-thru. And I take a bite of a burger. Oh, God, I missed part of the story, damn it. Let me go back. Okay. The night before. So this is a Wednesday. I know that because Tuesday nights are when, at my physician recruiter job, we worked nights. It was the only night of the week that we worked. And I was on the phone. It's about 7 at night. And I'm talking to a doctor. and. This, the, what, whatever it was, I didn't know what it was at the time. It was like a huge cyst. It was an infected lymph node. It ruptured. And it, yeah, it, not, it wasn't painful. It ruptured into my throat. Oh, no. You ever had a mouthful of pus? Oh, no, I can't say I have. <laughs> it, it tastes exactly like you think it does. Oh, it's, and it, it felt like a gallon just went whoosh into my throat. I just, because I, we had headsets, I took it off. And just grab my trash can and just spit it out, and it was so much. It looked like chicken gravy. It was, oh gosh! I know it's gross, right? That's that is definitely messy. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's nasty. Uh, um, so I go into the bathroom, and then like I feel it. Like it was hard as a rock, but now it's kind of like a sponge, right? And I'm I'm pushing it, trying to get stuff out of it, you know, to try to get it out, right? Yeah, I know that look on your face said it at all, it's, <laughs> and it should because it's nasty. So I come back out and I finish the night. 
go home. And I wasn't thinking like, oh, that's done. And no, I knew I was in trouble. And even when I woke up the next day, it was back to kind of where it was. Went up to the doctor. He sees me, tells me to go to the... So he sees you after it's ruptured. Yeah. Because and still thinks... It's, it was already yeah. been. It had already filled back up. Oh, wow. So um, go through the drive-thru, take a bite of a burger, and it ruptures again. And so have, I, have you eaten a burger or a Burger King since then? I'm going to say no. Well, I don't do fast food much, but... Yeah, okay. I don't know, but... <laughs> well, now you just ruined burgers. Thank you. <laughs> But well, I hadn't thought about it. No, I haven't. Um, but no, it was gross. It was gross. Um, yeah. I just, I stop as I'm pulling away. I just stop, pull a parking brake, open the door, and I just spit it out into the parking lot, right? But I had taken a sip of my soda because I had to drink to swallow at that point. And so when I spit it out, it looked like modern art. It was just this, the puddle's this big. <laughs> and it's yellow, right? Because it's all just infection. But there's also chunks of food. Because I hadn't swallowed it. Like, as I swallowed is when it ruptured. So I spit it all out. It's, you know, there's cola mixed in there. So it's brown. It, it was not great. If anybody needs a reason right now to quit fast food, I think you've given them one. <laughs> Good. I've done my part for you. You've done your part. <laughs> yeah, it was nasty. Um, So I just, yeah, I didn't eat anymore after that. Um, Just drove to the hospital. They walked me to my room. Um, And... <clears throat> So this is early afternoon, I want to say. Four o'clock, five o'clock, early, early evening. And I'm in there. I'm just waiting for the first doctor to come in. And he's an otolaryngologist, ear, nose, throat guy. Yeah, you know. okay. And I saw two of them total the time I was there. I can't remember if he was the the, the fellow there in training. Um, no, he was because he was really excited to see it. <laughs> geeked out over. Which Leave it to the residents to be excited. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> He walks in he's, and he, he's looking at it. I mean, he had heard from my doctor and he's like, okay, first we're going to do an IND, incise and drain it, right? They cut it open and get rid of all the junk. And that's the first thing. And because it wasn't, because it wasn't, or because it was part of a hospital visit, it was kind of a, a, a workaround to get my first IVI treatment. Because it wasn't oh. through my home infusion, it was through my medical visit at the ER. Gotcha. So it was a different circumstance, right? So that was on deck. That's the first time I ever got it. Um, but first, this. So he numbs it up. He does all the you know injections around it, and he needed my help because he needed to hold it and then start to cut it. He's like, "Can you hold the gauze here? Because I'm laying." Oh my! Are you like at this point? Where's the morphine? That's all I'm looking for. <laughs> Not yet. No, because because locally that was fine. I got the morphine when he had to pack it with gauze. Oh God! That yeah yeah. So that was the second morphine I ever had. But he you know he does the injections around it. It's numb, and you know I can just feel the tug. So I, there was no pain when he was doing it. But then he really starts geeking out. He's like, "Oh my God!" There's and so I'm holding the gauze and he. He said, okay, now I have to milk it. I'm like, you really got to sit there. Come on. The patient's right. The patient is right here, dude. And not unconscious. Not unconscious. And I get that you're geeking out about it, but it was fine. He's like, all right, I have to milk it. Can you hold the gauze while I milk it? And he's just like, oh, my God, there's so much stuff. And I'm like, dude, I was like, I was like, I spit out a bunch of it because it ruptured on the way over here. I was like, there, there was way more than that. And, and he said, he's like, that's not possible. And I said, what do you mean that's not possible? He's like, it couldn't, he said, it can't rupture into your throat. I'm like, it did. Well, something did. Some, I, was like, I was like, yeah, it, it did, man. It, it really did. And I don't think he bought it. 
until he cleaned it out and then he started to to air or to uh to clean it out with water he's cleaning it out and i was like it's going through into my throat and he's like no it's not and i started spitting out water and he he's like oh my god i didn't know that could happen okay a hole in my throat like going all the way through um how the hell does he live through this i have no idea and so he cleaned but it's like we talked about earlier you didn't have a choice you, you have to just you keep going right i mean there's cool. what else are you gonna do and i didn't say, again it's not like a disney movie i'm strong and i'm gonna be brave no. <laughs> break into song <laughs> you know you're, you're fighting the grizzly bear like <laughs> it's gonna kill me but i'm not gonna go down without a fight exactly um so then he cleans it out and then he's got a packet and he said this is gonna hurt so that's when i got morphine and um it, it helped i mean it helped a lot he packed it there's like a little tongue sticking out so they can pull it out and change it every day. Oh, jeez. So he does that, and then they do my first IVIG treatment. He, and that's kind of where the memory of that day ends. And then they get me up. Thanks to the morphine. Yes. <laughs> they do my first treatment. They wheel me up. Here's my bed in med surge. Just, you know, my regular hospital bed. And you know, I was there for weeks. So at that point, the, the days kind of blend together. Um, but the next day, I do remember the next day because the different otolaryngologist comes in to remove the packing and repack it, and I and he pulls it out. And he just pulls it out like it's hurt, and and he's like, "All right, we're just gonna give you some local anesthetics and put it back in." And I said, "Hold up, chief, dude. Yesterday gave me morphine and it really helped." And he's like, "No, I don't think it's gonna do the job. This will be fine." Don't famous last doctor all the time kids <laughs> sometimes they don't know what they're talking about yeah he finished it but i told him i was like you try to do that tomorrow i'll punch you in the face i was good like for you. next time next you're using morphine or you're not doing it good for you man that hurt that hurt yep and and he did use morphine the next day way better yeah um, those are the specific memories i've got and then like my parents they flew out I think dad was in Europe somewhere. He comes back to the States. He flies to St. Louis. Mom drives from Ohio. And, you know, they're there with me. And just some night later, it's late at night. So many of my hospital memories, I actually kind of like this. Um, so many of my hospital memories have to do with the light coming in the window. Like what it looks like outside when certain things happen. Uh, that June, the June pneumonia, I remember the morning light coming in. Um, and uh, like a gift basket for my coworkers because I just started working there. And I thought, that's really sweet of them. They don't even know me yet. And they got me this gift basket. So a lot of them are, are predicated upon like the light coming in. Mm -hmm. I remember there are lights from the parking lot and it's late at night. And my body just starts shaking. Starts shaking and shaking. And I'm on all the IV. Vancomycin, I don't know if you know about that. That is the Cadillac of intravenous antibiotics. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that up there with Cipro? Like, that's a pretty strong... Oh, no, no, Cipro is a pill. I mean... It, it, yes, but it, I think that's it, one of the strongest antibiotics you can take. I'm not sure. I mean, you might be right, but I know vancomycin is, or it certainly was at the time, and I, I'm just I'm constantly on it. Um, and maybe it wasn't just that, but they were, you know, cycling through antibiotics, most likely. I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember vancomycin. I've had it several times. That's what I was on. But and even with my treatment, my medical, my IVIG, like I was already way past the point of that really 
like fixing everything. But without it, again, lucky I went to the doctor, lucky I went to the hospital, lucky that that was part of my medical treatment that day versus home infusion. Without it, I'm dying. I'm dead within a day or two, clearly, because within a day or two is when this starts to happen. Um, I had gone septic. I had sepsis. I was starting to go into organ failure. And so the body starts shaking and, you know, they got me, they're monitoring me, obviously. And memories, I, very few, but very specific memories because I was out of it. My blood pressure was tanking. Um, I've gotten low with blood pressure before, 60 over 30. Like, I thought you're supposed to be dead at that point. Oh, wow. That is very yeah. That's like you're on a ship and you're trying to make sense of anything and it's rocking back and forth. That was the June pneumonia, actually. Um, this is basically the same. And I just remember this starts happening and the shaking, my whole body, my right knee starts to hurt for some reason. And then suddenly I'm surrounded by white coats and they're all just moving very briskly and with great purpose. They're all doing stuff. Mr. Straws, we're going to take you to intensive care. And so I just remember them saying that. And then I remember being in like the, the, the whitest room I've ever seen. I, I just remember that. And it's in, it's in the basement. If the ICU is in the basement and it's it was it's quarantine, right? Because I'm obviously I'm special case and um you know, they're they're doing all their stuff and they're acting very fast. And I remember them saying, Mr. Strasbaugh, you're gonna feel some pressure. And that was when they inserted the central line. Yeah, then the central line in your neck, or where did it go? Yep. Oh. Just okay. Um yep. I wasn't aware of anything. They just jam it. And, you know, because the port's big, it goes right, right to your heart right there, circulates through your bloodstream faster. <clears throat> so I remember that. And it's kind of the last thing I remember for that point. I do remember that for three days, though, my feet were elevated above my head. So the blood would pool because my blood pressure was low and I was, you know, on the verge of organ failure for three days. The, the standard supine position they put you in to make it... Make all the blood try to go back down. Yep. To your organs. Yep, exactly. Um, so I remember that. And I remember you know, the, the bank of machines. It's on my right. I can see it. The door is in front of me on the left. It's like a sliding door, maybe. It's airtight, though. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. It was like being in a capsule in outer space. I mean, like one of the biggest hospitals in a major American metro. The, talk, the sound of silence. You hear the silence in the room and it's i mean it's it's profound i was gonna say you went to a lot of trouble to get a private room right <laughs> nothing but the best mama way um give me the best medicine it's all the best ivig um and i remember like the, the lights i don't remember if it was actually beeping but i remember the lights moving and i was making music to the rhythm of the lights oh, in my man. head because three days that's yeah, the man. longest three days because I think I, I compare it to like a three-day weekend in Cobb versus three days in intensive care. This is when you get Einstein's theory of relativity, that time is relative. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you're just, you're basically in isolation. Like there's, you're just, and you're just watching time pass, which goes very yep. slow. And you're just, you, you don't feel great. No. When you're on the brink of organ failure. And, you know, once every however many hours, someone in white would come in. Hey, how are you doing? And then, yeah, standard whatever response. Bring me some green jello, please. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even, oh my god, I didn't even think about that. I don't know what I ate or if I ate or I had to have eaten. 
But that was three days of ICU. Made it out of the ICU. And after that, it was a slow row, but I slowly got better. I was probably in for another week. And then getting out of the hospital, going down to my car. And there's that bag of, of fucking hamburgers. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, wow, that just like a week or two ago, I, I was eating this hamburger. This thing was happening. And I'm looking at it here and I was like reconnected to that moment. Wow. And I'm like, and in an instant, like that was an instant ago. But between that hamburger and right now, it was like this episode in the hospital. It was just, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. I just remember it hitting me like that. But then probably felt like a lifetime ago. You'd probably felt uh, like you lived a lifetime in two weeks to hire. Yeah. Yeah. A, a really tough lifetime in those you know two weeks or whatever it was but i remember pulling out of the parking garage and it's a bright sunny day 9 30 in the morning i want to say and you know, my parents were still there they were coming they were driving me back they were driving back to, to you know mid missouri with me spending some more time with me there and i just remember on the way home you know they were in their car they she rented a car and i was driving my car back and we went to ihop on the way back, and it was the, it's the best breakfast I ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you have? Pancake, pan, I had pancakes, sausage, eggs, orange juice, coffee. And I sat. Perfect. I sat in the eastern booth facing west where they were sitting. The sun's coming in here. And I just remember staring at my food and just thinking and eating it and not being in pain. Because for the, for the previous month and a half, Taking a bite, oh my God, just getting stabbed in the neck every time you took a bite. Mm. Just eating food, eating food, Sarah. Just like this is basic survival. This is what it feels like to be able to eat and not think, all right, I got to swallow this bite of food. All right, gear up for it. God, that hurts. Now you got to take another bite. Every day, three times a day. Yeah. Talk about the just having that relief of just you could actually sit there and enjoy your pancake or you could enjoy like just that amount of just being focused on wow i i can do this now and it doesn't hurt it, it is as you might imagine like so many things like when you i mean and I, I get why you're asking but it's like so what can how can you describe it how can you describe something like that and really to give it effect or impact i should say i I, I, I remember staring at my food, though, and just my first thought was, shit, I got to do this. But then, you know, right away going, wait, no, I I'm, I'm, I can do this. I can, this is just regular food. I can eat the regular food. I can do this. Yeah. And it's not going to hurt. And I'm not in the hospital. This isn't hospital food. I don't have to worry about this. I, I'm not, the doctor's not going to come in after this. I don't have to get this thing packed again. That hurt every day. I mean, they, Yeah they're jamming shit into your neck. So it hurt every day, but I'm like, it's, it's no more. Um, there was one follow-up visit, I think with a doctor in town where they actually took it out for the last time. Um, cause I know, I remember this and I've got the picture somewhere around here. We went home and we drove home and my sisters actually both came out. Well, one lived in Utah and one is from Colorado. Um, they all came out after this and it was one of the last times we were probably, Maybe not one of the last times we were ever together, but um, this is 2007. We got a family picture done. It's just at the Walmart in mid-Missouri. So, I mean, the picture quality is not great, but that doesn't matter. Um, and I'm I'm wearing a, a black turtleneck, and turtlenecks are not my jam, but I'm wearing it because there's a hole and a little 
tab of gauze sticking out, so I had to cover it up. Sure. Yep. And I remember that family picture, and they were there for a while. And because of that, like my treatments, my medical treatments started four weeks after that. Yeah, I would think the insurance would have a hard time denying that to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so that was it. That was when wow. healing here, here, just uh, the the process. I was a clean slate at that point. So after, so that was February at the end of February when that happens, and then after that, for I don't know how long, but for a while, I just I didn't really think about much. I mean, I thought about, you know, getting back to music, but at first I just like, what's it like to go somewhere and not worry about getting sick or yeah. go out to check the mailbox and not worry about the sniffle that I have when I come inside. and Not being in pain. Th not worrying about being in pain. Yeah. Not knowing that it's coming because there's worrying about it, but then there's not, it's not even worrying about it. You know, it's coming. Mm. You're just, you're just sitting there. You're like, you're bracing for it. And that had stopped. I was done. So for a while I just lived I just lived, sat in a chair, didn't worry about sleeping on my back because the pain of this thing would choke me off or, or getting a cold. It's just a cold. Mm -hmm. Not trying to kill me like the common cold is actually trying to do. So that was pretty cool. But it wasn't long before I started to, because to, I, you know, I, I was you know, new, slowly getting my fingers used to playing a little more. And again, you're going to have that knee-jerk reaction. You don't want to just like, oh, I'm going to go with it and play. Right, right. So it was a slow process, just testing the waters, testing the waters. But sure enough, no tendonitis, no nothing. So as luck would have it, the running theme here, because I, I lived in a little town called Mexico, Missouri, and which was 45 minutes from Columbia, which is a college town. And it doesn't matter where you are. If it's a college town, it's a college town. <laughs> Right. So I started to take lessons with he was one of he was one of the faculty at Mizzou at MU, but he was a classical guitar player, and I got back into classical through him. And that's all I was thinking about at the time, but you know I couldn't stop thinking about it after I started taking lessons. It's all I wanted to do was play and play and play and reconnect, right? So I started to think about well, because you had been without it for so long. Exactly, and and to to take lessons was great. One, he ended up moving away, but two, I thought, you know, lessons are great, but that's just me taking lessons. I want everything I can possibly do to get it all back, but then just do more with it than I ever dreamed I could do, even if I hadn't been sick. And Mizzou, the University of Missouri, it has master's programs in music. They didn't have a guitar program, and actually they don't have one anymore, but they didn't have a guitar program. I was thinking about driving to Kansas City to do a guitar program, but that's two hours away. I'm glad I didn't. But at Mizzou, they had music composition, and they have all these other things for master's programs. And I thought, I always want, I, even you know, many years before I was thinking, it would be cool for me to get my master's degree in music because I love academia. I just love it. Like I, I think I said yesterday, I love everything about school. And at, in grad school, all you're taking is course is like music specific stuff i'm like how is that not a dream come true for me in my life right now it, there's an opportunity again in my ted talk about charlie and the, i talk about charlie and the chocolate factory yeah. that's what it was like getting that like, golden ticket yep i'm like i i got the diagnosis i've got these treatments i want to do music and there's a state college with a music program graduate program 45 minutes away mm -hmm. and so 
uh, in June of 2008, you know, just a year and a half after getting diagnosed, I took one summer class. I'm looking at the textbook for it right here. Um, it was a harmonic analysis is what it's called, just analyzing music. And I took one class. And like, even from the first day, I'm like, that's it. I, I'm, I'm going full time as soon as I can. And that was, so that was June of 2008. So for a year, I just did prerequisites because obviously I had lots to just to do just to get started in the actual program, paid for it all out of pocket, and then four years of actual program work at, at Mizzou. Wow. And so, and, and it's really cool because they didn't have a guitar program, but I don't want to beat a dead horse with the as luck would have it thing, but they were talking to who would, the, the gentleman who would end up being my pro guitar professor. They had been talking to him about starting a program, but it was kind of a catch-22. They were interested in starting a program, but they didn't have any applicants. Nobody had pl applied that played guitar. So I was like, well, we can't pay you to do this if there's no students. Kind of a catch-22, rocking a hard place. Well, I show up, and every master's student, regardless of their, of their major, has to have a primary, primary instrument. So they thought, well, let's give it a shot. So I started a master's program in, or I started my master's for composition. So, and, and that was the, that was, that's probably my favorite one if I had to pick one because I didn't just get to study Mozart and Beethoven and Bach and all the guys that I loved, but I learned how to write symphonies, string quartet, wow. all the chamber music. Yep, I'm looking at my symphonic score right there on the wall. Um, I learned how to do that. So I started that master's program right away. And at the same time, I was the guinea pig for their guitar program. It was me and my professor. That was it. I was the program. So he didn't have a curriculum in place. And it was perfect because uh, I, there, there was no precedent. So we kind of developed the program with me as we went along. So I wasn't trying to keep, like, I didn't have to be an amazing player right away because sure. I obviously wasn't yet. Um, but I, I relearned how to play the guitar by playing Bach and playing very complex music on the classical guitar while earning my master's in composition. So, and I think you'll understand this too, for years, for years after, I would be very self-conscious about everything I did during grad school because I, I didn't have the wisdom and the wherewithal, I think, to look at it from a certain perspective and just be grateful. I mean, I certainly am, and I was. But at the time, I thought, like, I, I missed out on so much life. Of course. How could you not think that? Of yeah. course. Trying to play catch-up for something you can't catch up on. Right. So I felt, not like a fraud, but I'm like, here's all these, you know, 23-year-old kids. And here's me. I'm 40. And, you know, I'm learning how to compose and stuff like that at the time. And thinking, you know, I would have, should have, could have, right? I look back at my achievements now, and I'm insanely proud of them. And I even listen to them now, and I think that's... Nowhere near as amateur, juvenile, or even bad like I thought it was at the time. Um, it's good. Mm -hmm. And I look at it and I think, I, granted, I'm biased because, again, it's me. But I also have the unique perspective of looking at it and saying, I know what I went through to get here. And so for the joy that I had, just to be able to sit in a classroom and learn to do this, I can hear it in my stuff. I can hear it because I know the story, right? Sure. So hopefully people will check me out on Spotify. Um, no, but if you if you ever heard my music and you know the story, hopefully you will, you will understand that if you heard my stuff. You're like, this guy just went through 12 years of hell. And I'm just, when like all my grad school stuff, I'm just learning how to do this again. So in my first semester of composition, 
I actually won a, a university-wide composition contest. Like, it was really cool. And I won it with a, a cello and guitar duet. And with that, the prize was 1500 bucks and a chance to write for a symphony orchestra. So that's what I did. And since you don't, I mean, there, there are pieces written for guitar and orchestra, but guitars are not in orchestral music. So I thought, here's my one chance in my whole life to write for orchestra, but also write a part for me and play it and record it and perform it. And that's what I got to do. Wow. Yeah. So if it's called Erebus. It's a 12-minute piece. It's got five acts, five movements, if you will. I'm insanely proud of it. It's It was hard to play challenging to write and i did get to perform it live at the chancellor's concert my whole family showed up i've got pictures of it this was before everybody was addicted i, I didn't have one of these yet so i sure <laughs> wish i had the footage now but i've got it here i've got the memories and so grad school was you know five years of, of memories like that so being self-conscious during the time about a lot of it but still being able to get a master's in jazz I was the first one for that program too, me and another student. So I got to be guinea pigs for a lot. Um, and just five years of experiences. I mean, like my resume is great. Three master's degrees, cool, but I didn't do it for anybody but me. Well, and it sounds like yeah. it, it sounds like that perhaps what you went through pushed you to maybe I don't want to say overachieve, but go after maybe oh. all of the things that you couldn't do or you didn't think you'd be able to do so now you were like not wasting any more time i'm gonna go after this this is what we're doing get out of my way yep and like, and, and i didn't it wasn't that kind of like i don't think it was that mindset like you know objectively i look at it and i think yes that's that's what i was doing but i was just again just the word gratitude i mean it, it's yeah. true but like it's it's so it's kind of like thoughts and prayers or condolences it's like it's just a phrase people use but when if you understand gratitude, if you understand what it means to have lived a life of death for 12 years and you're like, I can't believe I'm alive, let alone in a situation where for five years I just get to swim in the, an ocean of music at the highest academic levels. It was five years in a chocolate factory. It really, really was. And so I was just, just I wasn't thinking, I got to do it. I got to do it. I just couldn't wait to wake up every day. Yeah. Before work, and then there's that. I was working full-time, and I was a teaching assistant. I was working, and, I mean, with my TA position and my full-time job, that's 50 hours a week. Yeah, that's Just that, and that's without full-time school and having a guitar in my hand. So just every second of every day. But it was easily the best time of my life, even though I went through a horrible divorce. She kicked me out. I was homeless for about five, six weeks. Mm -hmm. Easy. Easy. No problem. To say easy compared to what you had gone through, I'm sure. Because I can deal with not having a home. I can find a couch. It's not going to kill me. I, I got food. <laughs> You've been in that situation. It wasn't going to kill you. Yeah. I I know. I, I've dealt with worse. Yeah. So I finished up in May 2015 and uh, moved home to Colorado. Actually, in my commencement ceremony, I missed it because... Because I was doing as much music as I could, I took a Christmas gig with a small church in town, and it was like a Christmas Eve gig, so nobody could do it. And they they found me through Mizzou, and you know, I was exuberant. I was happy to do it. I did the job. I did the gig really, really well. Didn't think anything of it, but a couple months later, the the director of the church, who was also the music director of one of the other small schools in Columbia, 
contacts me out of the blue and says, hey, the course that I that I lead here at, was it Columbia College? Might have been. Um, every year we do an international tour and our guitar player had to bail at the last minute. Do you want to go to Ireland? All expenses paid. Um, yeah. Yeah. Schedule. yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, and, he's I do. Like, and he's like, okay, here's the premise. It's the Catholic mass, but the music is bluegrass. And I'm like, Ooh. yes, I will. Do you play bluegrass? Yes, I do. I don't play bluegrass. <laughs> but like, you were going to learn. It's like, it, for those 10 days in Ireland, I play bluegrass. And it was 10 days in Ireland it's... playing this. And then every every other day, the, the choir would have a day off to rest their voices. So me and the band, it was like a bluegrass band, we would go to little Irish pubs and just play. Wow. People buy us drinks. I mean, are you pinching yourself at this yeah. point? Yeah. Yes. And blue, I mean, the, what I had to play, it was hard, and I didn't really have the chops for it. Um, the the irony of going to grad school like I did, like I didn't get like really good. I got functional because I was so busy. I got just good enough to get the job did. Uh -huh. And so like it was hard. Like I, I flubbed a lot of notes, didn't care. Time you were faking it till you made it, and you I, did, man. Look at doing so. Yeah, right, that came back, wrapped up the final big band tune that I had written, and that was the end of my time at grad school. And then two months after that, I moved back home to Colorado. Wow. Yep. Just unbelievably messy and poignant and powerful. I just I can't even. Um, I don't want to say I'm out of words because that's just not me, but I'm a little bit out of words. <laughs> um, I, I, and it's funny. I went for years, like even after I moved back in 2013, um, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd gotten diagnosed, just hung around not being sick for a while, knew I wanted to go to school for music just for me. I had a job that had benefits. You got to have benefits when you got CBID. So I thought, sure. I just want to do this. I'll keep my full-time job. I didn't care. I was like, alive? And I did music for me. That's all I did it for. Even if I never wrote another symphonic piece or never did another whatever, I just did it for me. All the knowledge is here. And you were able to. You could pick up your guitar. You could. You were able to do it. Yeah. Yep. And it's funny. I mean, now 10 years, you know, almost 11 years after the after the fact, I haven't been back to school since. And you know what? I, I want to. Um I, I'm infinitely better in every way, even though I'm not in school, like as a composer, arranger, improviser, theorist, historian, all of it. My chops are, I'm, they're great. They're really good. Not just because my resume says so, but because when you have the experiences I had, anything I can do with music, it it doesn't, it sticks in a way that isn't normal, I don't think. My relationship with music is my relationship with life and death and loss and profound joy and getting stuff back. It's all one thing. So if there's anything music related, like right now I've got my webcam propped up on a stack of music scores this big. Mm -hmm. Just to hold these scores in my hand, I can page through them and I can hear them and I know what's going on. Just for me, right. like my chops are great at this point. Um, it's your messy rhythm. It's it, the my, mess. It really, really is. It is. It's. It's my. It. I'm the muse for this. It's everything that makes me me. Maybe not everything, but like, because my spirit is still me, but my soul is musical. Um, but for years, you know, we we only live our own life, right? I can't live anybody else's life. So I looked at everything I went through, and you know, I get back to Colorado. 
Um, I didn't know what to do. I thought, well, I, do I want to teach college? So I thought about maybe teaching college, but realized that's not for me because I didn't want to get like a doctoral degree and then have to move away to the middle of Illinois mm -hmm. and teach at a little community college because jobs are scarce. And I didn't want to leave home. I had been dreaming about coming home for a decade. And so I did. I came back to Colorado and just didn't go to doctoral school. So I thought, well, I, I want to teach though. And so I, that's when I started teaching again, like full time. And that was, you know, 2013, 2014 or something like that. Um, but not thinking about telling my story because kind of spinning it back to, around to what I just said, I lived my life and I certainly thought it was interesting. But, and it's not like people say, oh, do you mind talking about this? Mind a, it's a great story, even objectively. Sure. But I just thought, and you're here to tell it is, and I'm pretty, here to tell it. Yeah. But I didn't feel the need at the time to like scream from the rooftops, hey, I'm Mike and I'm powerful and this is my story. None of that. I just thought, that really sucked. And uh, for now, I'm just, I just want to, I'm just going to do my job, close the blinds and play guitar. I don't really care. Look, my life was bad enough. And I'm lucky enough, but it was bad enough, and I lived it, and I know what happened. That's all I really care about. I know what happened. But then, you know, I would tell people about it, um, even like some of my home infusion nurses for my treatments. They would hear, and like, dude, I've been a nurse for 30 years. I've never heard anything like it. And they're like, you're so resilient. You're so strong. I've had people say, dude, you're my hero. And like joking or not, I you start to see it from other people's perspective. And mm -hmm. I think maybe the people do need to hear about this. And so I'm mean, kind of, that's why I start, started to think about a TED Talk. Um, started sending out applications. Apparently, because I went through a course to, you know, button up a TED Talk. It takes about 100 applications to get a TED Talk. Wow. Um, I did it in eight, which is cool. That's really cool. It, and it's, it's such an incredible story. I'm actually surprised it took eight. So. And, and I, I plan on doing more. It's like, yeah. I'm kind of the same. I mean, who knows? But yeah, but and so when you did when you originally did it, did you have like I want people to get this out of it, or were you just like, man, it feels so cathartic just to get it off my chest and tell my story? Yes, <laughs> to which <laughs> to both. No, yeah. yes, yes, because the catharsis. Yeah, to to I had been invisible, mm -hmm. right? You become the disease. You're not you anymore. Right. And even when you put on a brave face, you are you talk about the I had I imposter syndrome is very real it's when it's you scary. aren't. Yeah. When you're not even human anymore. Um, so to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged. Yeah. Because, again, I lived it and I think that's a pretty remarkable story. I think I don't know, because, again, I'm, I'm just me. I'm like, have do other people not go to the hospital this much or have other people not had a doctor look them in the face and say, dude, you're screwed. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to make it out of the night. You have stuff like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not normal. Not only that, but then you're left with the weight of everything. That's one of my reasons I started this podcast. You have all of this stuff just there. Well, what do I do with it? It needs to go somewhere. And that I feel when you're doing your TED Talk, it's like you can feel that sort of leaving, even though it's still a part of you, it just sort of comes out and it's like, you know, you can make fun of it. You can breathe a little bit. You don't have to take yourself so seriously. And I think when you're going through it, I wouldn't want somebody to tell you that. But when you've come out of it 
that's important to get through that. Yeah, for sure. It's incredibly important. And you said the perfect, the catharsis is a perfect word for it. It really is. It really is. It was incredibly cathartic. I, and it, I, it's selfish. It's not selfish when I thought, I just want to get this out. I got to get it out. I mean, there's a book in the works. I mean, it's, it's going to happen for sure. Um, I'm just not sure where to aim it, so to speak. Sure. Story's interesting, but I also want it to have an impact in a different way, but conversation. Well, and that was my first question about the TED Talk. Did you go into the TED Talk with, I hope somebody walks away with A, B, and C? Was that part of it, or was it just, I not, need to tell my Not at first. I okay. didn't tell my story, but even when I started doing this, this, you know, this mastermind group, they were saying it's not just about your story. There has to be ideas worth sharing is kind mm -hmm. of their, their slogan, right? I'm like, well, that's easy because... I take a look at my story and I can, you can surmise out of it right away. You can go, okay, well don't take life for granted, obviously, because, and again, like I said, and I just thought about like yesterday, a three-day weekend in Cabo versus a three-day weekend in the ICU. Yeah, we, it's not, yeah. And so if we kind of piggyback on that, um, I can't stand these things. <laughs> it, not really, because your life is ticking away and you're you're doing this with it. Mm -hmm. It angers me. It saddens me to see people do that. I'm like, your life is it happens once. What it's do you do? Four hundred trillion chance that you're here to begin with. It's a one in fifty thousand chance that I've got this disease. Everything is statistic. You should not be here, and yet you are. Live your life. Don't just consume with the TV and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of getting on. It's not what I talked about in my TED Talk, but I kind of did. Mm -hmm. When I mentioned the all-knowing God device in our pocket, it's, it shuts off our humanity, our yeah. bark, our creativity. It steals our time. So that was a big part of the talk is just realize what you've got when you're here. You, you can only realize it so much if you don't do it yourself. But if you can find somebody who has lived a life like that, listen Buy them a cup of coffee and let them talk for an hour. Try to glean some kind of wisdom secondhand. Gosh, to yes. it. I don't care who it is or what it means. Involve yourself with some, get, have a conversation like that. Stop. Don't waste your goddamn life. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that that's a bigger part of this too, the connection with people. You know, everybody has a mess, obviously some much bigger than others, sure. but we are missing that connection with others when you're scrolling or looking or whatever, you know, everything's right there on your phone. And I, that relatability or connection or just, you know, like you said, sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody that's so you know, foreign to us, I think now it's, it's right. or a stressor of, I have to commit to go do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, you and I are different. We're Gen X. We're <laughs> the last of the pre-internet. No, and that's, that is a big thing. And I, and I do that and I'll kind of like talk about my business for a second, not to necessarily push it, although I would come to my school. Yeah. No, go for it. So like in any, like I, you know, obviously I do guitar and music, but it's for anything. There's all the courses, all the how to's all watch a video and we start checking stuff off like their skills, like their grocery lists. I learned how to master the guitar or master karate or whatever it is. You're like, videos are not experiences. I like I did social media for about a year or for about six months last year, maybe two years ago at this point. I hate it. I cannot stand doing it because I don't want to teach on a video. You can't learn from video. It's not a human experience. I only teach live. That's a, that's a big selling point for me because I won't do it on a video. I think it's insulting to humans 
I won't do that to music. Music is more important than to sell like a commodity. I was going to say that's probably really huge, especially in your kind of business, because you're probably not getting that um, income that maybe you could do if you were having, you know, buy my DVDs or videos or whatever. And you're you're wanting to have that personal in-person connection. Yes. Yep. And now, granted, I, I <laughs> unfortunately, I'll never do in-person again for obvious reasons. Sure. But the only time that I like a screen is when I'm talking with you or anybody like seriously right. on Zoom. Right. This is the only time I want to stare at a screen or a lens. It's I'll do ads if I need to, et cetera, but I don't want to do it. I want to get off of this thing. This is the real world. Yeah. This is none of this is fake. It's all real. This, no matter what I'm looking at, I'm doing this. I don't yeah. want my life to be that. And I don't want that to be for my students. I don't want it to be for anybody. That's part of my Again, selfish reason for my school. If I can get people to put their phones down and be able to tune in for more than three seconds, <sighs> selfishly, that's a win. That's a win. And I'm like, that's a, that alone is what the price of admission is. Like, seriously, because I'm reconnecting people with their humanity. And I know I am because I've had students with me for eight years and they love it. They wouldn't leave for anything. So that's such a powerful big, message. Yeah. I, I thank you. I think so. And that's, that really does tie into my TED talk. Because life is, uh, this This is really life. It's really happening. The phone is not, it's not. No, and that's, to be a slave to it is really, you know, we think we have all these cool gadgets and this and that, but it, it's not. And there are some positives to it, I can see. Of course. But not in the way, like we were talking about yesterday, where you, you were home and you just figured it out. You just figured it's out how to do it. Or it didn't get done. There was no... How do I... Yeah. <laughs> it was, let me sit out on the floor and pour it out all on the floor and let me see if I can do it. Spend an hour focused, not going, how do I... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, right. joke about it. Like, oh, my attention span. Yeah, it's not funny. It yeah. isn't funny. I don't like where it's going. Luckily, I didn't grow up with that. And I think I said it yesterday, too. If you and I were kids today we would do the same thing it's the way yes no 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 of course i'm just we're just fortunate yeah we're, i really do think that yeah. Yeah. yeah wow so powerful mike just absolutely powerful so what would you what would you leave with the messy audience what would you leave them with today going through your journey like we have going through the ups and downs and the twists and turns and my gosh there were a lot of twists and turns what would you leave um, the messy audience today? Kind of hard to put a blanket statement on that one. Part of, I mean, part of it is what we just talked about, quite honestly. Sure. Um, sure. Just and really, I mean, cell phones, computers, call it what you will. Embrace your humanity versus alternate reality. Embrace the embrace the real one. Um, that's a big part of it, quite honestly. But in terms of like the messiness, the messiness of nature, um, we have reached a point. It's certainly in you know, the United States and, you know, quote unquote civilized countries, you know what I mean? Those of us who are fortunate enough to not have to find water or whatever, um, we only know what we know. So we grow up in the society and we think, man, this is really hard that I have to pay my taxes. My, my taxes are 5000 more than I thought. I get it. I don't want to pay taxes and it sucks and you get mad. Um, I'm not saying don't pretend like you're not human of course not because it's disingenuous right sure sure it really is it's not you're gonna be pissy about it and so any advice to not worry about it, it it's gonna seem less than sincere but small stuff is small stuff but either way when people say embrace the suck when you're in it you don't embrace it you're like this sucks but it's worth it no it just 
when you're not in the suck, appreciate when you're not. Sure. When you're in it, um, I I don't know if I have advice for that. Like the messiness, it's like kind of like we started yesterday with. It's like you you find out if you're resilient. That's okay. I I mean I don't we've we've covered a lot. I will say from just the outsider looking in, I will say I can see um, your strength through the mess was the music for you. And I feel like that helped you sort of not embrace it because we don't like that term, but just sort of helped you have that perspective that you were kind of sharing now of don't waste it. There's so much better things to do with it. And, And even when you were sitting with your mess, and maybe not embracing it, but you were sitting with it. There was something there for you that was like, I'm not done. I'm not done with my story. I'm not done with my mess. I'm not done here. I'm going to keep going because, like we said, there's no choice. And so, and now with this, and I talk about it, I know it sounds cliche, but you sort of given this second chance. Okay, so second chance. Um, your first chance shouldn't have happened. Like, a fucking 400 trillion to one, right? right? Your first chance is your second chance. We're not supposed to get any chances. If you treat treat your first chance like your second chance, I guess that's a good something you put on a t-shirt. Somewhere. There you go. <laughs> like, really. If, if you lose something and you get it back, you weren't supposed to get it back. You were yeah. lucky to have in the first place. I lost my soul for 12 years, right? And so the only thing that connected me to music for the 24 to 36, man, that's a pivotal time in any human being's life, right? That's huge. And it was yeah. stolen, right? So... What my connection to music at that time was one of loss and just mm-hmm. memories, just memories. Like I remember writing and playing and being in a band and just the memories as painful as they were. Cause it's not like I didn't ever look at it and think, Oh, that was great because you, you lament their loss. It never goes away and you feel like shit all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I'll be honest, a lot of times I wasn't thinking about music. I was just thinking this sucks. I hope it stops soon, but in the moments when I wasn't in pain or sick or whatever, it's it's always here. And you're just remembering a life before. Mm. And, and like, I didn't think it was going to come back. I thought it was done. Well, and so you're almost mourning the oh, life I, that oh, you it, yeah. I did. Absolutely. I, you, I absolutely mourned it for from basically 98 until 2007. Yep. Even though I taught kids, like I taught kids at a music school or at a music store, just a local music store. It was it's not the same. Because I couldn't do it. Did it suck to watch people go, eh, I don't want to practice. I'm like, yeah. what I would give to be able to do this for five minutes. And I yeah. think but circling back to what you were, it, it's more. But can you not take it for granted? That, I mean, correct. again, it's, it's out, when I, and actually my students kind of appreciate this too. Sometimes like I've been called a drill instructor. I'm like, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, because. And I think you probably, especially in the, in the world of social media, where you have to, you have to sugarcoat a lot. I mean, you can't speak your mind in a lot of ways because somebody's going to get offended. I'm like, well, maybe you should get offended because uh, if you're offended by words, obviously that that's on you. I'm not offending you. You're getting offended, but if you you, you got to hear the truth sometimes, mm-hmm. and the truth is ugly. It is messy. There you go. It is painful. The truth. It does not give a shit what you think. It does not care if it's fair. It Everything is fair. And so sometimes I sound really cold in this because, well, it, it's a very cold universe. It doesn't yeah. care. If you're fortunate, that's lucky. If you live a life where you've never had to anything or go have an autoimmune disease or have a heart attack at 42, 43, 
type one diabetes and needles in your stomach. It's like, you're so lucky. You're very, very lucky. Again, I'm getting kind of speechless, but it's why people think sometimes, it's like a bit of an asshole sometimes. I'm like, yeah. well, no, I just wake up. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> the messy truth. The messy truth. And I don't want to coddle people. It's kind of like with my students or with like my teaching philosophy. I don't give, I don't show anybody. I don't give them nothing. I'm like, work for it. Right. Practice your stuff, dude. I'm nobody cares. Work harder. That's nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares if you can play the guitar or do this. Big motto. Big motto in our household. Yeah. Nobody cares. Hard. And you know, and also I say this all the time: choose your hard. Choose your hard yes. because life is hard no matter what. So choose which one is it going to be. It it you do have to do whatever the hard work is, even if the first step is that's the, when they say that's the hardest step, is it? Because every day is going to be hard. Yeah. Welcome to life, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got it. You've got to earn it and choose your hard. Learning an instrument, it should be. It's anything worth doing should be hard. Exactly. It, then everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it, and you don't care. Nobody cares about tying a shoe. Why? Because it's easy, and everybody <laughs> can do it, right? But when people say, "Oh, you're a great musician or athlete," I would give anything to be able to do that. Well, you say that, but I bet you wouldn't. Would you give up all the time and would you bust your ass? Wet, Sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. That's why I love it so much. That's how, thong, that's how something becomes a passion. When you earn the shit out of it, that's when it becomes real for you. You're invested. You care. You have poured your soul into it. That's, that's what meaning is. Capital M, meaning and purpose. It doesn't happen by no video ever cared. No video is an experience. It will not change you. No. And and that goes back to what I talk about, too, about motivation only gets you so far. If you don't have the discipline to take on whatever it is that you want to do, motivation is going to run out. It's the discipline. It's the good habits of getting up every morning or going on that run or whatever you're choosing to do. Motivation will only get you so far because when that motivation runs out, what gets you out of bed? What is it that's going to get you to do that next step? It's discipline. It's discipline and it's focus. It's all of that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I love having discipline is great. You feel good. Yeah, you do. So, I mean, there's being in pain from a solid workout and there's being in pain because your hips don't work. Right. I mean, two different kinds of pain. One feels good here. Yep, it does. Like I do intermittent fasting. I take really cold showers every day. I do everything to shock my system. Anything I can do, I do it. That's great. I'm, I'm very, I, I work out. I mean, not like I don't go to the gym anymore, but I'm physical every day just to keep this thing as healthy as I can for obvious reasons. But it feels good. I feel like I'm alive because it sucks. Because you're actually able to say, you know what it feels like when you weren't living. Yeah. When you're dying for 12 years and you would give anything for one day of peace. To go on a walk, to do anything. You would take all the money in your bank account and say, take this. Just give me a week. where And, and take away the part where I know it's coming back. Just mm-hmm. make me pretend if you give me a week where I forget what's going to happen when, I, when it comes back, here's all my money. Right? So me just, wow. I mean, I don't get up every day and be like, I can't wait for today to, for things to suck today. But, well, I kind of do. Like, Boy, I don't want to turn on the cold water right now because it's cold every time. And I do it. <laughs> it and it's great. And it feels great every time. You should be uncomfortable every day. You should ma- force yourself to be uncomfortable somehow every single day. 
every day. We are not, these things did not evolve over 300 years to be, or 300,000 years to be comfortable. It's the only reason we're here. That's why we have these things. If not, we would be floating brains that didn't have to worry about our vehicles. I know what it's like to have my brain reboot and not be able to do anything with this thing. Right? I'm going to hold on to that. Be uncomfortable every day. Do something uncomfortable every day. This could suck as much as you can without damage. Really? It Does a cold shower suck? Yes. But then afterwards, you kind of feel like a badass. You well, that or uh, that or you keep it in perspective of at least you got to take a shower. At least you have running water. At least you can do that. I mean, I can stand in a shower. I'm not paralyzed. I can use my hands. I can turn on or a million. At least I can blank. At least I'm lucky enough. It's all perspective for sure. It is perspective. Wow. This has been absolutely wonderful, Mike. You are a breath of fresh air. Probably one of the messiest stories I've had, if not the messiest. I was going to say, you find somebody messier, and I'll just, <laughs> not on my watch, pal. No way. If I can't be the star, I don't want to be a part of this. No, no. I think it's been pretty messy for sure. I appreciate your time and taking the time to do this podcast. And uh, anything you want to leave with? Anything else? Yeah. Just find me on my socials. I mean, shameless plug. My- no, go for it. My stuff is good. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, it's okay. No, dude, my stuff is great. If you have three master's degrees in something, you're probably good at it. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, right? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, music is art, but art isn't just about feeling. It There's there's skill, there's craft, there's sure. positional prowess. There's Technical, stuff. yeah. Technical stuff. And there's a lot to be said for inspiration. And I'll... Boy, my inspiration for music, it's, it comes from a wellspring that few people have had the opportunity to to tap into, and that is my life. So check me out on... Yeah. But if you watch my videos, a lot of them are funny. They're good. Um, my stuff's on Spotify. It's all live. It's all stuff from grad school. It's not polished. It's real human beings performing in a concert hall or a classroom. It's very real. And I do have all the links to your socials in the show notes, as well as a link to your TED Talk. So... Oh, watch my, t- watch my TED Talk. Yeah. Watch my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Come to my, seek me out if you want a musical ed. If you if you are interested in guitar, if you are playing guitar and you're in a rut, you're not in a rut. You're having an existential crisis because it doesn't mean anything. That's why you're not getting any better. Um, and I mean, you, you might want to get better at something. Again, for me, it's just guitar. But if you haven't done the work, if you've been shown, not taught, you don't know what you're doing. That means you don't care fundamentally what you're doing because you don't know what you're doing get a good teacher get a really good teacher <laughs> um my i'm developing my website now my school is going to be running very soon Strasbourg guitar and music academy and i guitar is my instrument so i say guitarists but that's my crowd look me up it's, it's exclusive man i mean that because 200 people per class and i'm teaching three classes at this point so wow. once i hit it hit, hit it Nobody can. That's it. Don't. That's what I'm selling. An experience, which is the way stuff used to be. You used to go to school and go to classes, right? Right. That's what I'm selling. A real human experience that's elite. Um, like there are schools, there are music schools, like Berkeley College of Music. I went for a year. Juilliard School of Music. And when I say this, I want people to understand when I say what my students, the, the, the experience they get, the quality that they get with me as a teacher, it's the same as Berkeley, as Juilliard. By this, I mean you go to those schools, which are 10000 a month-ish, 
um, not that much. <laughs> go to those places to get that experience, to get right. the entire Berkeley experience or whatever state school. At Strasbourg Guitar and Music Academy, you get that same quality, that level of instruction, but on a small personal basis. And it's not 10000 bucks a month. So. <laughs> There you go. All right. Well, I wish you all the luck. I appreciate you so much coming on the podcast. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on when your book comes out. Please do. I'll be happy to. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to Everything's Messy Podcast. If you don't mind, if you'd head on over to wherever you listen to your podcast at and like, subscribe, maybe leave me a review. I would totally appreciate that. If you'd like to be considered to be a guest on our podcast, please reach out to me at everythingsmessy at gmail.com. You can also find me on social media at Everything's Messy Podcast on Instagram. I'm also on X, which was Twitter at Everything's Mess and Facebook at Everything's Messy Podcast. Once again, I'd love to hear from you in any capacity and anything that you'd like to share with me. Thanks again for listening.